a man hits a parked car and gets out and leaves a note. And the note said, everybody looking at me now thinks I'm leaving you my name, number, and insurance. I'm not. Good luck. It's been said, never trust a builder who says the work will be done on time. Never trust a used car dealer who says we service what we sell. Never trust a salesperson who says there's no hidden cost. And never trust an engineer who says, uh, I'll explain it briefly. And never, ever, ever trust a lawyer who says, have a nice day. You've heard this winter so cold that lawyers had their hands in their own pockets uh, because of the polar vortex. But today we're going to talk about, we're not just going to bust on lawyers uh, whom we love. We're going to talk today about character. You're going to be challenged today to grow stronger in your character. Now, character is a broad term. It includes qualities like courage, discipline, endurance, faithfulness. Uh, This morning we're going to focus on the truth-telling aspect of character. Jesus himself said to us, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We're going to focus on this idea of telling the truth. If you ask a follower, what's the number one thing you're looking for in a leader, they'll say what? Honesty. If you ask a single person, what are you most looking for in a potential lifetime mate? They will answer honesty. If you ask a citizen what they're looking for most in an elected official, Honesty. If you ask a congregation what they want most from their church staff or from their pastor, they'll say honesty. Truth-telling is very important. Let me tell you this morning, the older I get, the less tolerance I have for deceit, spin, and deception. The older I get, the sharper my radar becomes for image management. When someone is trying to impress me or draw my attention away from the fundamental aspect of who they are. But the irony is, I've told my share of lies. The irony is, I've exaggerated a story before. I've put my own spin on things. But imagine, if you will, if a moral screw-up like me has a growing disdain for deceit. Imagine how our lack of truth-telling is an affront to a holy God. Imagine how any dose of deceit, how he greets it and how he grieves over it. The story of the church is a beautiful one. It's full of mess. It's full of um, evolving and growing and progressing. It's full of conflict, setback. It's full of people who had bold moral courage and those who did not. The early church, according to Acts, it exploded onto the scene. Uh, different churches start in different ways, different local churches. Some, uh, some, the big saying now is launch. We launched a church. But let me tell you, the early church, when it launched, it launched. It exploded big and thousands of people uh, were saved. And lest you think the church was going to be a one-hit wonder, uh, thousands more later came to Christ in one single day. And if you stick around here long and you've sat under my teaching, you know that a lot of times there's hardly a month or two goes by where I don't point back to Acts 2. It's this beautiful expression of the church. And it says the church that they were committed, not half-hearted. They were committed to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, 
to being together. They heard the word. They responded to the word. They gathered. They took communion, remembering their Lord. They were wholly devoted and committed to this. They evidently prayed bold prayers. The scripture tells us that God did many signs and wonders in their midst. The rich cared deeply for the poor. Ethnic divisions were being dissolved. Worship was offered heavenward freely and joyfully. Everything that could go right in a church was going right until this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, some of you know we've talked about this recently. We cracked the book and looked at Acts chapter 5. It's one of the most sobering stories in church history, a very eerie story. And there was a man named Barnabas, the man who was known as the son of encouragement. Barnabas was a kind of guy, if he met you on the street, he would say something good. He would put a pep in your step. He would encourage you to believe God's best for you. And Barnabas saw that there were many poor people pouring into the church. How beautiful is that, right? And the poor were coming, and Barnabas had this idea of let's distribute the wealth. Let, let, let's give up things so that others... Maybe life is more about not acquisition and consumption, but it's about giving away freely and generously and sacrificially. And Barnabas, he led the way. He sold some prime property and brought it, and they distributed to those who were in need. The Scripture tells us that, that needs were being met, and there was this couple. Because, you know, when someone does a good deed, it inspires us, doesn't it? We, we see that, and we say, man, I want, I want to do that. And probably this married couple was motivated to some degree out of the goodness of their heart. And they took something that was theirs and they sold it, but they skimmed a portion. Listen to that phrase. They, they skimmed a portion. They didn't bring it all like Barnabas and others were doing, but they skimmed a portion and they put some in a private account. Now, the poor were helped. They did something good, but they, they took a part. They took some. And what follows is pretty dead gum eerie. Peter confronts first the husband, and they fall over dead. He falls over dead. The, the wife hears about it. They probably had, she probably had a date night plan. She's wondering where her husband is. She runs smack dab into Peter. And yikes, the same thing. The scripture tells us, Peter told them, Prior to their death, you have not lied to, to man, but to God. And have you noticed that about lying? God wants you and I to see it not so much as a horizontal affront, but a vertical affront to a holy God. You have not lied to man, but to God. And the scripture tells us after their death that fear gripped the whole church. You think? Could you imagine they're gathering around family meals and small groups and they're talking about what had happened? Do you think there was a little bit of fear in every heart? Now, why? Why would, the, why would God's Word give us this? It's almost incredulous. It's hardly believable. But I believe that it's not precedent-setting in each and every case. It's some unilateral thing that God does. But I believe God is saying to them, saying to us, that He cares about His church. He cares about the stewardship. It's, it, his church is precious. He sees the potential in the church. When the Spirit is doing a work, He doesn't want people, deceitful people, messing it up. And what I want to do this morning is share with you three things that can help you grow in your character, in your ability to be a truth teller. I just want to give you three things this morning, the balance of our time. Is that okay? Is that good? Don't lie. You know, you know what could happen, okay? 
The first one is this. Number one, come to grips with God's disdain of deceit. Come to grips with God's disdain for deceit. Now, if you're a fast Bible turner, you can access it with a couple of pushes of your button. Look at with me at Psalm 15. We're going to, in a moment, put it on the screen. Psalm 15. This is a psalm, a prayer of David. Smack dab in the middle if you're turning a leather-bound, hard-bound version. Smack dab in the middle of it all, the 15th chapter of the Psalms. A psalm of David, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but one who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does no change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He, does, he who does these things shall never be moved. Now this is David walking through the weighty matters of justice and mercy and integrity. And if you're a note taker and you actually opened up a Bible or can do this, if you put the first part of that passage back up, in verse 2, write down the word spiritual. The word spiritual. He who walks what blamelessly and does what is right, where? He speaks the truth where? In his heart. You could fool others, and at times we do. But there's the truth from your heart. It's very spiritual. And then write the word by verse 3. Look what it talks about here. Write the word social. It talks about who, who does not slander with his tongue and does, not, does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. There's spiritual integrity. There, there is social integrity. And then write moral integrity by verse 4. Uh, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. You see, there is right and wrong. There is evil in our world. There is some things that's just a reproach to God that's not good for you and I. It's injurious. It's damaging. It's just not healthy, and we need to stay away. There is this sense of moral integrity. And lastly, by verse 5, write the word financial. Financial integrity. Spiritual, social, moral, and financial. And then in verse 5, the Scripture tells us, David prays about not being moved. What does that mean? Is that one of those promises that you can't really believe because we all get moved, don't we? We all get shaken about in life. This idea, I think, is saying that if you live with spiritual, social, moral, financial integrity, that you will communicate credibility. You'll earn trust. You'll receive respect. You'll create a consistency in your life. Don't you want that? Don't you don't you want to see things the way God sees things? Don't you want to be a truth teller? Don't you want to live with integrity? I, I think one of the great inventions of the last few decades is um, soft serve ice cream. Can you feel me on this? I mean, you guys love some soft serve ice cream. Chick-fil-A, um, not not on Sundays, but Jason's Deli. Well, you could go today to Jason's Deli and get some Soft serve ice cream. Don't you love that? You just you just turn the machine. Grant's, do y'all have it at Grant's Kitchen? You got soft serve? Coming soon. Okay, Grant's going to put a soft serve ice cream in at Grant's Kitchen across from Jackson Prep. We do commercials at Fonder Church. Just tell me your business. But 
you just turn that, that lever, right? And there comes the chocolate, the vanilla swirl right into your cup or to your cone. What a great invention. And it comes out just the right texture. You know, there's an old-fashioned way to have soft-serve ice cream. You know what you do? Take it out of the freezer. Put it on the counter. Wait a little bit. Right? Come check on it. Come back again. Check on it. It's soft. You can serve it. So inconvenient, right? You've got to get a spoon and dig a little bit. But if you let it get the right taste, there's there's an old-fashioned way to do this. And it's the environment, isn't it? It's the temperature. It's, it's what the ice cream is subjected to. And I think that is true of you and I. I think we're affected by our environment. If you and I are going to be soft and yielding to Christ, if we're going to let Him shape our character and help us follow Him as the truth and to learn to live the truth, to move away from our lies and deception, then we need to... We need to put ourselves in the right environment. And I wonder, what kind of environment are you in? I told you the older I get, the less tolerance I have for spin, deception, and deceit. I've seen what it does. I've seen hearts broken. I've seen cynicism get deep into somebody. I've seen families get wrecked and ruined. And it's terrible. And for some of you today, you're hard. It's even hard for me. I mean, this, this could be beating against the wind. This could be heading east to find the sunset. This is, could be an exercise in futility because you're so hardened. You sit here today and think, can you trust? Your environment really does matter. And this psalm is saying, man, put, put, be a person that can be trusted and put yourself around people that can be trusted. A second thing, beyond just coming to grips with God's disdain for deceit. It's just this idea of of understanding, facing, or I'm sorry, fully grasping the the damage that lying can do. Several years ago, I took my oldest son to to a football game. And we drove up to see... Mississippi State play Alabama. This was a year we didn't believe. No one had posters saying we believe. Nobody believed. I didn't believe. Dan Mullen didn't believe. Nobody believed. We believed in Saban, not Satan, but Saban. It's close. But we drove up, my son and I, and we hung out with people. And this was one of those rare weekends that no one in the church gave the pastor free tickets. Sad, isn't it? Let's just let that sit over the, over the congregation for a moment. No one, no one. And there we were in, the, in a bulldog reservoir tent with some of our friends who lived out in Brandon. And we, we headed toward the stadium, my son and I. He's 15 now and was about 10 at the time. And we, we didn't know it, but Alabama was about to win their first national championship in a while. And we, we bought tickets at a fair price. And we approached our seats. And you know how it is when you're approaching a seat and someone is sitting in your seat? You want to be 100% sure that you got it right. So we're looking around. My son was, you know, the endorphins and excitement's bouncing off. The game's about to start. It was the largest crowd in Mississippi State football history at the time. And the ESPN's there. It's a big night. And I'm looking around going, section T, row 50, 13, and 14. I'm double-checking. I'm asking people because I'm about to tell somebody they're in our seat. It's going to be awkward. They're going to lose, and we're going to win. And about that time, security grabs me and says, sir, are those your seats? I said, yes, they are. And he said, well, tonight, 
those are about 50 people's seats. I said, what? He said, you'll need to go down to the lower concourse. I was like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to sit on this concrete where this game's about to start. But dutifully, I followed the instructions and went down and met the athletic director, Greg Byrne, at the time. And it took about 30 minutes, but Greg escorted me, my son, and about 48 other people to the sidelines, the Alabama sidelines. We were right by the gate, and we, or the fence, and we got to watch the entire game standing, but we watched the entire game there. Now, how does that make you feel when you're duped like that? Can I tell you the level of anger that I felt, the rage? I went in after the game, I just went, maybe it had to do with the loss, but I just went, I was cutting tires in the parking lot and breaking windshields and taking off, you know, just. I didn't, but I wanted to at times. Somebody fooled me. They duped me. These tickets look so real. I mean, I'm no dummy. They look real. Somebody, some opportunist made probably two, three, four thousand dollars that night off of good, salt-of-the-earth people like me. I was, I had a hard time letting that go. I was deceived. Let me tell you about another time. When I was a young, very young believer. A teenager, in fact. I had made a commitment. I'd done that thing like a lot of you done. I prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, told people, excited. And I made some steps to grow. And I took this step. It's a step that we challenged some of you to take. It, you know, getting in a small group, getting out of rows and into circles. The first time I'd ever done that. And I did so because there was a couple of guys that I seemed to, I really admired. And we had a Bible study. It was a different type of Bible study. Most of the Bible studies I'd been in were fill in the blanks and it was listen to a lecture. And this was one of those like Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians. He says, we, we didn't just share the gospel with you. We shared our lives. And these men were sharing life together. And I was drawn. My heart was hungry for that. And after group, one night I, I stuck around with the leader and I, I thought it, I just felt safe. I, I told this small group leader that I had so much admiration for, this church leader. I shared with him. I, I opened up my life. I lowered the drawbridge. I told him about a struggle. And you know when you have one of those conversations, at, at the end you tack it on. It's totally not necessary, right? But you just tack it on at the end and you say, this is confidential, right? This is confidential. Hey, you know, just between me and you. And later, I think it was two weeks later, the next time we were together, it just felt different. The vibe was different. And I quickly learned that my secret wasn't a secret. That he had betrayed my confidence. And I was, it was early in my faith. And I got my stuff and I got out of there. And I remember thinking, I don't, I don't like these small groups. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that church leader. Can you trust any of these church leaders? And if this is the way the Christian ship sails, I might want to jump ship. And all these years later, I stand up and say to you that that took a long time. But I'm not the only one in the room, am I? A spouse tells you they're never going to cheat, and they do. A business partner tells you, hey, you can trust me with the books. I got this. And they've been stealing from you for months. And if you and I 
if we would fully grasp what lying does, the damage, then we're left with one of two big choices. We're left with, I will inflict pain just like that, or no, I will grow in Christ. And I, because of the pain that's been caused to me, I will be careful. You see, I think I can live, and maybe you can, I can live with the occasional opportunist, opportunistic scalper. That doesn't take long to shake. But when, when it's a trusted friend, when it's a, a church leader, a pastor, a parent, a spouse, a business partner, it takes on a whole new meaning. And for you and I, I'm telling you this morning, it's one of the three things I'm giving you. If you would fully grasp the damage that lying does, it'll help you. It'll help you make a commitment to being a truth teller. Y'all ever played, I'm going to look at some of the kids when I say this. Y'all ever played the trust game? Ever done that? Where you, you know what I'm talking about? What's the trust game? Somebody say it out loud. Anybody? Okay, great. I'm all alone. I felt I was all alone. Now you just confirm. Thank you. The trust game is this. You with me? Yeah, Ray, you come up and demonstrate. No, I don't trust you. Um, there's, bro, there's so much that could go wrong in that. Just so much. But trust, the trust game was developed, I'm sure, by children. And if you've ever played it as an adult, you know how fun it can be, Right? But in the trust game, there's a truster and a trustee. And the truster stands three, four, five feet from the trustee. And they face that way. And they don't look. And though they're tempted, they don't slide a foot out to break their fall. They fall back. And the whole idea, the why the game is so adrenaline pumping, is because your trusted friend has promised they're going to catch you. Now, this morning, I ask you, why do we play such games? Why did we invent that game? And I think there's, I suppose, the reason is because you and I know deep down that life is not worth living if we can't trust somebody. If we ourselves can't be trusted. If you're a note taker, on one side of the page, write the word hiddenness. Hiddenness. And draw a line. And on the other side, write the word openness. And many of us, because of a lack of trust, and whenever our trust is betrayed, we, we stay here in hiddenness. And a person who stays all trapped inside of themselves is like the Dead Sea, stagnant and sterile. We don't receive or give life. But openness is where God is summoning us. He's calling us to live that way, to have fewer and fewer secrets and to be trusted and to trust others. Do you want to grow this morning in your capacity of character and truth-telling? Come to grips with God's disdain for deceit. Fully grasp the damage that lies can do. And thirdly, choose a day to move away from all forms of deceit. I hate roaches, do y'all? 
I lived in Florida for a long time, and a couple of the places I lived weren't that nice, the actual place where I lived. I would go in the kitchen at night, and one time I, I turned on a light, and there was a roach the size of Charles Barkley making a sandwich right there on the kitchen counter. He was looking at me with his eyes. I'd seen him on TV talking about basketball, playing golf, same, same roach. Man, my philosophy on roaches is a good roach is what? A dead roach. There is no good live roach, am I right? And when I see one roach, I want to kill that roach. I want to kill the roach's father. I want to kill the roach's mother. I want to kill the roach's children and even grandchildren. I want to show up at that roach's family reunion and wipe out the clan, right? That should be yours and mine, our view of deception, spin, exaggeration. When we lack spiritual, social, moral, or even financial integrity, we, we should want to get rid of it. Ask any alcoholic, any, ask any recovering alcoholic when they stopped, and they'll point to a day. Ask any gambler who no longer plays slot machines. Ask them when they stop, and they'll, they'll tell you about a day. Ask someone who has um, had problems with their weight or a lack of health, and they're, they're better and they're more physically fit. That person, I'm telling you, they can point to a day. The Scripture says in Joshua, choose you this day. There's something powerful. There's something powerful about a day and a moment in time when we say, no more, enough is enough. Today is the day. I want to move past this in the past and I want to move forward into more uh, into a more God honoring future I want to carve that out I want to commit to listen these were these are my words that God did in my life a while ago I want to commit to verbal precision if you're going to be 15 minutes late don't say you're 5 minutes away don't say the checks in the mail if it's on your desk Don't say you've been waiting on somebody for two hours if it's only been an hour. What we say, it really does matter. And this morning, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny as I look back and know when I've been hurt and when I've moved toward openness and I've gone back to hiddenness. It's funny what God will do. It's why I'm patient as your pastor with some of you. Because it's funny, that hurt happened to me. That betrayal that was so stinging. Yet all these years later, I'm the guy waving my arms in front of a church and churches through the years saying, get in a group, get in circles, trust people, open up and share your life. Why would I say that? Why have I said that for two decades now? Because I believe it. I believe it. Committing to verbal precision for me several, several months ago. Reading through the psalmist, not 15, but when it says, there's this beautiful passage in Psalm 78. It talks about how he shepherded them with integrity of heart and guided them with a skillful hand. And God did, just a few months ago, God did a work on me. To remind me afresh that competency is good, but character really, really matters. And I would ask for you as we close in a moment, I would ask of you, would you pray for me? Would you pray for our church?
These are going to be exciting days ahead for us. And with this excitement, there's going to be so much at stake and so many challenges, but so much that awaits us. And I would ask for you to pray that prayer for me, that I would be a shepherd that would lead out of integrity of my heart. And that you would get a sense of that. You could speak into that. And I would lead with a skillful hand. And pray that for our other leaders. If you're a leader, we're praying for you. It really matters. Character counts. And at the core of it is truth-telling. I want to ask you this morning. Ray and I joked a moment ago, but do you have people in your life that could trust you if they fell back? Are you dependable? What level of verbal precision is true in your life? Now, I'll tell you a couple of things. This may sound tacky, but a couple of folks have lied to me recently. And I got the text. And I look down, and I'm thinking, spin, spin, spin. This isn't true. And I know in my life, I believe Christ has led me very recently and a little bit more in the future to have some conversations that are um, truth-oriented. And I've had a few people recently say to me, Robert, I'm praying for you, man. Robert, I admire you, man. I'm glad that you, you know. And just this past week, I I began to think. I began to think, "Why, why are people supporting me in this? Why does this seem like such a big deal? And I don't think I lack gravity for the moment. I just think I've had a couple of conversations that Christ has directed where I've spoken the truth to somebody and it really doesn't have to be that difficult. Because if you're speaking the truth to someone, you're loving them. Do you you understand that? Some of you are here this morning and you need a, there's a necessary ending in your life. Uh, There's something that you need to stop doing or a transition that you need to make. You're not good at this or there's something happening in your life and you need someone to speak the truth into you. And the truth is love. And if you're doing something you're not good at, and I'll stop there, but I'm just saying maybe you lack people that love you because they're not speaking the truth. And people who love each other sit down and they tell the truth. And I'm learning and I have learned That some of you, I know the difference. I'm learning the difference between misguided, angry criticism that I need to discount and when I need to sit down and listen to what you're saying because God is speaking through you. You're stained with sin just like I am. But he's using you to speak truth into me. And this morning we're going to close the service a little different. This is going to be uncomfortable for some of you especially some of you men who have your pride. But I want to offer an invitation for us in a moment to stand, if you feel so led, and along with me to make a pledge to be a truth teller. As we follow Jesus, wouldn't you want to live a life that's not so easily moved? The scripture says in James 1 that God is the father of lights. There's no shifting, shadow, or turning But you and I, our moods fluctuate. We're like a roller coaster. And this pledge 
is an opportunity for you to make a commitment to God. Maybe today would be a good day for you to move away from some of the deception in your life. Uh, Before you stand, and listen, let me say this. I mean this genuinely. Don't worry about anybody. And if you don't want to stand, if you don't want to make this pledge, then then don't do it. You can, if you want to pass, take a pass. Not a hall pass. Stay in the room. But you can take a pass. But here's, here's this pledge. I serve a God who always only tells the truth. From this day forward, with his help, I pledge to become a person who tells and lives in the truth. I'm proud of our God. I worship that God. And I'll say to some of you this morning, he always tells the truth. And the truth he wants to tell you this morning is that he loves you. That he forgives you. That he has not given up on you. And you can believe him. I don't know that you can trust every pastor, every parent, every spouse, every business partner, every friend. I don't know. But you can trust him. And from this day forward, with his help, not yours, you'll pledge to become more like him, one who tells and lives in the truth. And what I am learning is it is so free. It is so free. And there's so much joy. I better smile when I say that. But there's a lightness and there's a levity to following our truth-telling God. If you feel compelled to join with me, I know my wife's going to stand. Maybe some of, some of you will. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to close our time by saying this aloud. And um, if you feel it, if you believe it, I'd love for you to say it with some, with some decibel, with some, with some wattage. Let's do it together. I serve a God who always only tells the truth. From this day forward, with his help, I pledge to become a person who tells and lives in the truth. Father, we pledge this to you. And as the words have filled this room, I pray, Lord, that you would receive them because we do need your help. Lord, help us to walk in love with each other and into the land of truth, Lord, that your truth would march on and it wouldn't just be something that's an historical song, but it would be true in us, that we could speak truth and receive truth and learn the truth, that you would move us away from any form of deception, deceit, spin, lies, and exaggeration. Lord, give us this Psalm 15 type of stability that we wouldn't be so swayed, so easily moved. And for our next generation, for our young people, for the kids down the hall and the parents and grandparents in this room who shape those little lives, I pray that the church and this church would be a place where we steward the trust and where we speak the truth and where we more and more grow in our own trustworthiness. Lord, for me and for the leaders of this church in these exciting days as we look ahead to the future, Help us, help us to shepherd the people with integrity of heart and to guide with skillful hands. God, the sins of this preacher are so many. But I thank you you that you're doing a work. And today, my heart is soft to what you want to do, to what you've done, and what you want to do. And you, we pray.